you probably uh, know this, but at least in my, uh, my opinion, Easter is the most important Christian holiday. And that's what we celebrate today is the resurrection of Jesus. And we're, we're not diminishing the birth of Christ or Christmas, and we're not diminishing Good Friday, which is where we come around and celebrate the crucifixion of Christ, his suffering on our behalf. But the fact is, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it doesn't, none of it matters, and Paul actually said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 14. Here's what Paul said. He said, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If Christ didn't rise, all of this is lies. And that rhymes, so I feel like that's right. <laughs> like if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what we're doing here today is foolish. Christianity banks on the living reality that someone rose from the dead, promised he would, and actually, and actually did. So that's what makes Easter the greatest Christian holiday. And it also tells us that our hope that we place in Jesus is not misplaced. Sometimes we hope in an, in an outcome, and, and that's the wrong thing to do. We put our hope in Jesus, and we are never put to shame, the Bible says. And so as I've preached a lot of messages on resurrection, I, I want to talk to you, actually, instead of that, I want to talk to you about God's love for the prodigal, and, and I want to give you a little context for Luke 15, just, just a tiny bit. And basically what's happening in the first few verses of uh, chapter 15 of Luke is that Jesus obviously has been walking with his disciples and ministering, and the religious folks are, have gotten to a place where they not only don't agree with them, but they're just furious at how he is doing things, that he's actually sitting with and eating with sinners, quote unquote. And that's what the religious people are saying. They're like, you eat with sinners, you talk and walk with sinners, and they have a real problem with what Jesus is doing and how he's doing it. And so Jesus decides to tell them three stories. The first story is about the lost sheep. The second is called the lost coin. And then the third is called the prodigal son. And that's the one that we're going to focus on today. And that starts in verse 11. And here's what the Bible says. And Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. 
And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and he was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But when we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and now he has been found. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Now, obviously, this is a familiar story. I'm sure most of you have heard it. You maybe heard a sermon. Maybe you've read it many, many times. You you don't even really have to be a Christian to hear about the prodigal son. At some point, you're going to interact with this story, or at least this terminology. And, And I think when we use the word prodigal, particularly with church language or Christian language, we tend to think when the, when the word is used and applied to a person, we think a prodigal is someone who walked away from God. A prodigal is someone who ran away from, from God. But the word prodigal doesn't actually mean that. It, it literally means, when it's applied to a person, someone who wasted or squandered, usually talking about money, possessions, or resources. A prodigal is someone who has wasted or squandered. And, and so in this story, we highlight the younger son because that's what he did, right? He took his father's wealth and the inheritance that he was to receive, and he basically wasted it in a short amount of time. And so when we think of prodigal, we only think of the younger son. But I would like to introduce both of the sons as prodigals today. And, and actually, I think that the story is not really about the prodigals as much as it is about the father, And so that's what I think we should look at today. I want to bring up all of the characters in the story. And the first one I'm calling prodigal number one. He is the son who walked away. Jesus highlights the younger son as one who clearly has a desire for independence. Now, he doesn't want to be under his father's house anymore, does he? He doesn't like his father's rules. I want to be my own man. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want anybody to tell me how I'm going to do it. And so... He represents what I would call rebellion. Everybody say rebellion. Rebellion. Now you have a little bit of rebel in you. You say, well, Pastor Ben, I'm not like the, uh, the younger son, and that's not true. We all have a little bit of rebellion from the time that we're born. If if you've had children, you know there's a little rebel that comes out the minute that they can say no. It's sinners and diapers is what we call them in our house. You understand. (laughs) They're just born that way. I I don't understand it, but we... We took it very personally. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm my own person. I want to live my own life. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do or how to do it or, or any of that. This is the younger son, and he reminds me of uh, a little bit of myself in, in before I came to Christ, but also I was uh, not that long ago talking to a young man, and, uh, and this young man, as I was trying to give him some wisdom, so I thought, or some advice and counsel, and he basically said to me, which I recommend that nobody does. He said, I don't like it when people tell me what to do. (laughs) To which I quickly said back to him, can God tell you what to do? And he didn't say anything back to me at all. Everybody say wisdom. (laughs) Maybe he wasn't thinking right, but he knew not to speak back to me after I said that because my plea to him was, can even God tell you what to do? Or are you your own God? 
See, is that what this is all about? Because I think it is. That rebellion in us essentially says, not that I want to do my own thing and, you know, someday when God calls me, I'll I'll follow him. No, friend, it's us being our own God. And Jesus describes the younger son with some detail. And and here's four things that I think Jesus tells us about rebellion. And number one, he he wanted what the father had. That's his younger son. I want what the father has. Verse 12. The son went to the father and he said, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Look at that. Give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Now, this is obviously a very abnormal request. It's bold. It's disrespectful. It's dishonoring towards his father for sure, because obviously you receive an inheritance when the father dies. Now, if you're the younger son in their culture, you would get one third and the older brother would get two-thirds. And so what the younger son is saying is that I want you to give me what you would normally give me when you die. I want it now, right? Self, like now, that instant gratification. Give it to me right now. And so here's what it says to us. Either the son hates the father and doesn't care if he's dead or he's just an obstacle for him to get what he wants and go wherever he wants to go. He wants his dad's stuff, but he doesn't want his dad. Your worth to me is what you can give me. And you know, I think that speaks to us because many see God that way, don't they? They see God, we see God in a way, particularly for me, I saw God this way when I didn't know him, when I didn't walk with him, when I didn't give my heart to Jesus. I just saw God as, he was the lamb that gets me out of a jam. He was the one that I call on when things aren't bad. You know, he was the one that uh, I would ask for his help when my way wasn't, wasn't working. It's because I didn't know him. I didn't understand what he was like. And so his worth and his value, if he was real to me, was whatever I can get out of him. And this is what I think many in our culture today, this is how they see God. If, if, if God gives me what I want, then I'll follow him. That's, that's what we say. In fact, I was sharing the Lord with somebody um, not that long ago. I was just talking to a person outside of church about Jesus, and we got into a discussion, and, and they were pushing back on me, which, by the way, is totally fine. Amen. And they were pushing, not, not, not now, not like during my sermon, but <clears throat> that would be bad. Um, but I'm talking to this person outside of church about the Lord, and they're pushing back on me. And, uh, and this is what the guy said. He said to me, well, Ben, tell you what, I'll believe in and follow Jesus if he just does this one thing for me. Now, I, I don't want to tell you what that was, but it was, you know, mildly inappropriate. But he was like, if God does this thing for me, I'll believe in him and I'll follow, follow him. And I said, friend, that's not how this works. Because if God is God, then it isn't on our terms that we follow him. If he's God, the, the, the implication is that if he's God, he's over all of us. And so instead of him getting, like him being the genie in the bottle and doing what we want, we say, God, what do you want? What, what are you after? How can I follow you? If he's really God, it only makes sense that we would do what he wants and not just demand what, what we want. But many see God this way, and that's why they have an experience that, that isn't what the Lord intends. So this younger son, he wanted what the father had. But the second thing is he wasted everything on nothing. Verse 13, it tells us that he took the inheritance. The father complied with his request. He flew to Vegas, and he quickly spent it all on what the Bible calls loose living. And a short time, he wastes everything on pleasurable experiences with nothing of true value left over at all. He's got nothing to show for it. I just want to waste all this money so that I can feel better about my life. 
and I'll spend as much money as I need to to feel as good as I, as I feel like I need to feel. That's where he's, that's where he's at. This, this is a picture that illustrates how easy it is to give up what really matters for something that's temporary. And it happens all the time. It's, it's as ridiculous as if it, <laughs> I mean, picture this, 90 degrees in Seattle. Like it happens once in a while and we all like melt, right? It's just, is, is there's a total meltdown in Seattle, but not, not all of you, but for the, for the most part, it's like we, we cry out for good weather, and then when it comes, we complain. It's amazing. It's amazing. Just smile because you know it's true, all right? It's like, I don't do that. You, 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 you might. When you don't have air conditioning, you, you might. You might say a few things. But it'd be like if we had a 90-degree uh, weather day here in Seattle, and, and you basically sign over the deed of your car for a cold glass of lemonade. Man. That lemonade is great, isn't it? Right? 90 degrees. How about Chick-fil-A lemonade with the nice little ice? However they do that, that's magic or something. But anyways, they, you drink that down and you're feeling good for a minute. You feel great. Oh, this lemonade is great. I'm feeling good. And then you realize about five minutes later after it's all gone, you don't have a car to drive home. And you're like thinking, how dumb was I? Pretty, pretty dumb. <laughs> but it felt good in the moment. Now you realize it was a bad exchange. He traded in everything for, for nothing. And, uh, and this is what we see. And, and, and we also see in, in here, the third thing is he was reduced down to rock bottom. He spends all of his money and, and wouldn't you have it? A severe famine comes. Jesus is trying to just make this more provocative. And the young man goes to get a job and the only job he can find during a famine is to feed pigs. Now for a, a kosher Jewish young man, this would be deeply offensive. Every day of his life, getting up and feeding pigs. You can't touch pigs. You can't eat pigs. You can't even be close to pigs. You can't even dream about pigs. Like you are a kosher young Jewish man. And so for him, this is deeply offensive. And Jesus wanted his audience to feel this, to feel this rock bottom. Look how far he actually had to go. And it illustrates two things, I think. It, it shows us that our repetitive sin produces death. Our ongoing, unrepentant, willful rebellion against God, ultimately at the end of that trail, it's death. Now here, here's the deal. I was a prodigal. I walked away from God. I ran away from God. And I know what death smells like. I know what it tastes like. I know what it feels like. I know what it's like to be at rock bottom. I know what it's like to feel alone. I know what it's like to feel like nobody cares or wants me or loves me. I know what that feeling is like. I felt rock bottom. And then I had to realize the reason I am where I am is because the sin that I continued in and persisted with has produced the death that I'm living in. And I had to come to that place. And it wasn't until then that I actually looked up, but that's what Jesus is showing us in the story. You know, but the second thing that it shows us is this is how prideful we can be. This is how prideful sin causes us to be. It's that, listen, even when you're at rock bottom, it doesn't automatically make you turn around. Isn't that quite a conundrum. It's like, you know you're at the bottom. We know that, that this isn't the life that we're called to. We know this is bad, but it doesn't automatically make us turn back. It's amazing. It still requires something of the heart to recognize where we are and see who God is and put those two together. See, pride stands in the way of us turning to God, and we have to cross that line and say, Lord, whatever I was living in and whatever I've chosen, it's it's, it's not what you have for me, and, and I will humble myself. Life humbling us is not always enough. We still have to choose to humble our heart. Isn't that right? Stubbornness is very, very real. Now, in the story, I don't think the young son, 
I doubt that he was like, yes, I've chosen the right way of life. It's not that kind of stubbornness. It's the kind of stubbornness where he's living in this reality that he does not want for his life, and he knows it's less than what he's called to, but he's just unwilling to go back to the Father at this point. He knows that he's not supposed to be here, but he's choosing still to stay there, at least for a time. Now, it's possible for us, too, that maybe maybe you're here or you're watching online and you chose a path and you thought there was some promises at the end of it and you've been at the end of it many, many times already or perhaps you're there right now and you realize that the path that you've pursued or the promises that were made for this path, they've not panned out at all. And so here we are and it's like, okay, what do I do from here? And we have to acknowledge, like this young son did, that our addictions or our vain pursuits or our rebellious pathways, they do not produce what God created us for. They just don't. And we have to recognize that and choose to turn from those things. I mean, we lose family and respect and love and purpose. Why we're even here? And isn't it amazing in our culture today that all of our famous stars, or at least many of them, they're screaming at us, telling us that fame and vain pursuits and all of that didn't equal happiness. I mean, it's so funny to me because like on social media and and entertainment, man, we follow these people and some people want to look like them and dress like them and talk like them and be like them. You're like, Ben, that's not me, but okay. But in the culture, it's like everybody wants to be like all of these people and we follow them and they're, they're, they're entertainment for us, right? But these people are screaming at us saying, I didn't want this. I don't even like this. This this life, it's not what it's all cracked up to be. And I was just reading a very dangerous article yesterday that was proving that fact to me. And about 25 different um, famous actors or singers. And uh, I came upon Billie Eilish. Some of you know who she is. She had a number one album in 2019. Um, You know, in my view, she's a confused individual I pray for in the name of Jesus. But she's being interviewed and she's letting it all loose. And she goes, you know, fame is just trash. And so it's this anti-fame movement in, in her mind. And she just, she's just screaming it out. And you can hear it in her music. I don't listen to it, but, you know, I tried. <laughs> Justin Bieber does the same thing. I was reading his quotes. Listen, he's like, I had a lot of money and clothes and cars and awards. And, and he's like, I'm still unfulfilled. And, and uh, this guy, man, he's writing songs like Lonely. Hey, guys, I think he means it. I think he's lonely. I don't think he was writing to his wife. I think he's actually telling us, I'm hollow, I'm lonely. Yeah, you got $250 million. Everybody knows your name. Crowds scream at you. You have incredible talent, but it means nothing if you're hollow on the inside. And they're telling us that, and yet we still don't often believe them. And you're like, Pastor Ben, I'm a little older. I don't know about this Eilish and Bieber's, you know, and all that. I just remember the good old days, Pastor Ben, and things were wholesome, you know, and well, that's how you remember it, don't you? That's how you remember it. Yeah, you do, you hippies. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember some, yeah, all right. I'm on my best behavior today. We have guests. Harrison Ford, you'd, you'd remember him. He's 80 years old, he's getting interviewed, and, and he's talking about fame, and he goes, it was unanticipated, and I've never enjoyed it. I, I'm trying, like, should I choose the Indiana Jones version or, like, the, the Star Wars Harrison Ford? I don't know. I don't know. 
I've never enjoyed it. He goes, you can get a table at, at whatever restaurant you want. You can get into the doctor's office before everyone else, but it's worth nothing. It's worth nothing. I mean, he's just loose, 80 years old. He's just saying exactly how he feels. It's this, all this I have, it's worth nothing, and I didn't even want it. And so it's amazing, like to me, like these people are screaming at us about the highest levels of life, in term, naturally speaking, and it's nothing. It's, it's nothing. You know why? Because God created us for something that only he can give on the inside. That's why. And we won't be satisfied. We can't be satisfied. By God's grace, he allows some of us to feel rock bottom so that we'll turn up and look to him. And aren't you thankful today? There's some of you here where God lets you feel rock bottom so that you would finally turn up because that's how, much, that's how, that's how stubborn we were. And I just want to tell you, I just want to testify and thank God today that when I hit rock bottom, that he helped me to look up and my whole life changed as a result of it. And I know that's some of your testimony. You can just thank God for that today. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And we see this in the younger son, but that's not all. The, the final thing I think we see here is he attempted to pay his father back. In verse 17 to 19, he's rehearsing this speech in his mind. I'm gonna go to my father and I'm gonna say, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm not worthy to be called your son, but make me as one of your hired servants. Because he, he says in this, in this parable, he says that my father's servants they eat better than I do. They live better than I do. And if I can just be like one of them, then my life will be far better than, than it is in, in my own path. And so he has this realization also at the same time that my father is good enough to at least bring me back to be a hired servant. I mean, isn't that a revelation of God? That's what he's saying. My father's good enough to at least bring me back. He, he, he'll do that. So he came to his senses and, and he knows I'm not supposed to live this way. So he goes to his father to confess his sin and he accepts the consequences for his actions. We call this repentance. The only thing wrong with the story though is that when, well, with the language here, when he says I'm gonna go and be a hired servant, he's basically saying that I'll pay my father back by working for him. Here's the problem with that. You cannot pay God back we owed a debt that we could never pay. It's called sin. And we can't pay God back. You can't be religious enough. You can't be good enough. We can't be on our best behavior enough. There is literally nothing we can do to pay God back. And that's what Jesus is actually saying by the son, sort of, I'm gonna go back and he can hire me and I'll at least be able to eat while I pay him back. It doesn't matter how long he works, he won't be able to pay him back. And friends, that's the same for us today that we stand in a place of need and there is nothing that we can do and this speaks of the grace of God that we cannot earn it, we do not deserve it, but we have to receive it and Jesus paid for it. And that's the point. We give ourselves to Jesus and we receive what only he can do and he did that on our behalf. It's the only way to satisfy the debt. We want to pay back. That's religion, isn't it? Like he's got a little bit of religious tendency starting in him. And that's what we see about prodigal number two. This is the son who stayed home. So the father receives the younger son. He restores him by throwing this awesome party. And verse 25, it says, the older brother was in the field and he heard the music and the dancing and the Justin Bieber or whatever. And he asked the servants, probably not in heaven, probably not. I don't know. I haven't been there yet. He says to the servant, what happened? What's going on? 
And they told him, your brother's come home and your father has received him back safe and sound. And he was furious. And this is his response. Like, I'm not going inside, right? And here's the truth. He may have stayed, but he still strayed. Come on, somebody. That was good, right? That was, I worked hard on that, you know. Post that on social media. Get me up there. Yeah. He may have stayed, but he strayed. This is why he's still a prodigal. The older son was a prodigal of a different kind. He's not like his father in character and attitude. And I, and I want to share with you a couple things about him. The first is he was angry at his father for how he responded to his brother. In verse 28, it says he was so angry, he was not willing to go inside and celebrate with everyone else. Notice that the father still had to go outside to him. The father had to go outside to the younger son, and the father had to go outside to the older brother. That's what had to happen. He's still going outside to bring back in both sons. The older brother makes a case for treatment, the treatment of the father being better than treatment for himself. And if we're honest, I don't think it's an unfair case to be made. Like, I was here, he was gone. I saved your money, he spent your money. I mean, he's making a very good religious case, but he's just missing something. That the father's the one that gave everything to everybody. The father's the source of all of this, and he's, he's still talking about himself, and that's his problem, isn't it? He's still looking at himself, and, and maybe you're in the house today, and you're, this is your conundrum. This is how you feel. Now, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but maybe you thought this before. I was in church. I tried to do good. I served, and others who ran off into selfish, sinful living, they came back with an amazing testimony. You know, they were on crack, and now they're back, and they had special treatment, and favor and gifts of the spirit. And here I am, just good old faithful that was always serving and didn't stepped on and taken for granted. That's me. What about me, father? Oh, you feel it now. You feel it. That's what he's, the older brother despises the grace and the mercy of the father. He despises the grace and the, the same grace and mercy that causes him to be able to speak to his dad the way in which he is. He can't recognize it for himself anymore because he's forgotten where he came from. You know, isn't that what happens? We forget, we forget where we come from. One time I was preaching um, at another church, and when I got finished, I saw a guy in the back, and I knew just I knew he was going to come talk to me, all right? And I had a line of people. I was talking to folks and everything, praying, and he was patient, but he was really agitated and irritated. I could see he probably, he, to me, he looked like he had a, an addiction of some, some kind, you know, and I spent time um, ministering in prisons and on streets and all that stuff, so I'm very familiar with a lot of this. Um, anyways, I could just tell something wasn't right, and I'm like, this guy, he, he's, he's going to say something, and I, I don't know how this is going to go. And that's what happened. He waited patiently. And at the end of it all, at the end of the line, he, I, I walked up. To, he, I said, hey, sir, are you waiting for me? And he said, like, I didn't know. You know, amen. But he said, yes, I've been waiting for you. And he said, God gave me a word to tell you. And I, in my mind, I said, oh, buddy, take your best shot. Because <laughs> I get some stuff. Amen. You know that, right? Like, I get some stuff. I get, it's good and bad. It's all, you know, all in between. So he, he says to me, God wanted me to tell you that you, you can't forget where you come from. He looks at me, he walks out of the door, and I never see the guy again. And every religious bone in my body started to shift like Tetris, like, like that is not 
from God. <laughs> but I got into my car and I start driving home and I realized that was from God. That was from God. And he just chose whoever he did to say it to me. You don't forget where you come from. See, I don't know where you come from, but I know where I come. I come from addiction. I come from pain. I come from shame. I come from all of that. I come from shackles, bondage. I know the pain of that. I understand it. I know what drug addiction feels like. I know what it feels like to try to drown your, your sorrows away with alcohol and all that, misusing all these. I know what it's like to hate people, to genuinely hate people, and even people that are trying to love you. I know what it feels like. I know what it's like to lose sleep. I understand that. I do. I had to meet Jesus in, in a very real way, personally. That, that, that was for me. And so I just understand that what it's like to come to Christ, get radically saved, radically changed. People don't even recognize you anymore. You tell people you have this past and they're like, I could never see you doing that. And I'm like, neither can I. And you start forgetting where you came from. You start forgetting all of your loveless attitudes and all your difficulties and pain and sin and sorrow. You start to forget where God, he took you from and brought you to. We, we start to act like maybe I did a little bit of this. Maybe it was my Bible reading. Maybe it, was, maybe it was my education. Maybe it was my background. Maybe it was how great I was. No, friend, it's not. It's still the grace of God. And we forget, sometimes we forget the mercy and the grace of God that saved us, that set us free, that put our feet on solid ground. And we start to become like a different version of the younger brother. Here's the deal. There's a ditch on either side of the road, isn't there? And what we're trying to do is follow the path of life. And that path, it looks like Jesus. It looks, like, it looks like Jesus. And the second thing that we see here is he despised his brother for the decisions that he made. In verse 29 and 30, the older brother uses comparison to build himself up and to pull his brother down. He's trying to convince the father that he made a mistake in how he's treating him. You made a mistake the way that you're treating him. Like you, you uh, killed the fattened calf. You, you killed the big cow that I've been eyeballing for a long dang time, okay? I wanted that cow, that massive one, and, uh, and you killed the big one, okay? And, and that was a wrong thing to do. Your decision was, was wrong. Um, caveat, this doesn't make sense with my message, but I've got the microphone, so I'm going to say it. One time I was uh, ministering in, in North Dakota, and if you're from North Dakota online and you're watching, just close your ears for a second. But, <laughs> but uh, I went and preached at this camp, and, and I just am from Seattle, you know? Amen. I don't know anything about what goes on in those places. So if you're from Montana and Wyoming and North Dakota, just I love you. Please come back. And, but just understand, not everybody gets the culture. Amen. Uh, I went there and I was like, hey, what's for dinner? And they're like, we're eating like we brought half a cow. That's what we're eating like the whole time. I'm like, half a cow? Like that's a thing? And like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. Like, and it's Joe's cattle. Like he killed it. And brought it to family camp. And that's what we're eating. Like, all fit. like we're eating brisket. We're eating steak. We're eating burgers. Like, that's it. I'm like, that's too much cow. That is too much cow. That's too, you guys go too far. You just go too far. So, uh, and they raffled off a rifle too. I was, I, I was a little uncomfortable. I did. I was, it's a true story. It's a true story. You know, you think I take a little, little liberty in my jokes once in a while. How about we raffle off a rifle? See how that goes. Can I get 200? Can I get 200? It's for the kids, guys. It's for the kids. All right. I feel like I just said something deeply offensive. Please edit that. Yeah, it's just 
dumb, sorry. <laughs> he despised his brother for the decisions that he made. He wasn't even willing to call him his brother, right? He said, your son, this son of yours. Not my brother, this son of yours. He doesn't want his brother back because he doesn't love him. And that's the truth of his heart. And here's the principle is that loveless religion stings as bad as rebellious living. Loveless religion stings as bad as rebellious living. How many conversations I've had about church hurt? I make no defense. People get hurt everywhere. People get hurt in church all the time. And it's because of loveless religion. And I don't represent every Christian. And so I don't apologize to everybody. But I, I want to tell you this. Welcome to the club. We've all been hurt by people. We have. And I'm sorry that it happened to you if it did happen to you. And I despise that. I despise loveless religion, but I despise rebellious living. And, and you know what's funny is I feel like I've been both. <laughs> Anybody else have a spiritual schizophrenia in you where you've been the rebellious younger son and then you've become the older brother who's got a lot of judgments to lodge at other people? And it's like, Lord, I just need grace. I need grace for my rebellion and I need grace for my loveless religion. I, I need your grace. And that really is the thing, isn't it? We need the grace of God. Jesus is the one that offers us that through his death and resurrection. No matter which way we turn, we're still prodigals in that regard. And, and number three is he wanted what the father had, but not who the father was. Same principle as the younger son. It's amazing how the older son forgot that the father gave him more inheritance than his younger brother got. And here he is complaining about the fattened calf. He's complaining about a party and he's got twice as much as the younger brother. Jesus used this story to show the religious leaders that were actually present. That's what it says in verse one through three. It, it, Jesus told the story because the Pharisees were furious and upset that Jesus was eating with people that they deemed as sinners and they didn't understand their own hearts. They, did, they didn't get any of this. And so he's trying to provoke them and he's basically telling them that they forgot the heart of God in their pursuit of God. It just seems like that's not even possible and yet it is. The older brother had a lot in common with the younger brother. Both of them wanted what the father had or what the father could do for them, but they missed the most important part, and that's relationship with this wonderful father, who we know as God. He resented his father's grace and had no desire to be like him. The family value system, like if you were raised in this home, this is who you're called to be. This is what you're supposed to do, and he resisted all of it. He didn't want it. But the story really is not about the brothers as much as it is about the father, and that's where I want to spend the rest of our time, just a few more moments. The father who loved them both, as, as we dig into this story, it's a, it's a revelation of what God is really like. And, and I think that's the debate, isn't it? It's like, what is God really like? Is God someone that you're compelled towards because you really see who he is? Or is God someone that you resist because, honestly, we have a wrong view of what he's like? And I could tell you personally and having met with a lot of people within a church context, I have seen just how wrong we see God. It, it's just something that from movies to church backgrounds to traditions to family of origin, we don't always see God the right way. And he, God is constantly working to help change our perspective, to see him for who he is. And when we see him for who he is, we want, we want him and not just what he can give to us. I was thinking about... Um, one of Christian history's most famous paintings. It's a Rembrandt, and it's called Return of the Prodigal Son. How many of you have seen this before? Um, the one on your right, this is the famous one. It's called Return of the Prodigal Son. But uh, this was actually done at the end of his life. And most people don't realize that that was actually the last declaration that he made, a piece of art, 
about what he thought about God. But what you might not know is 30 years before that, he actually did another painting called The Return of the Prodigal. It's not called The Return of the Prodigal. It's just called The Prodigal Son. So these are 30 years apart, but we don't emphasize this one as much. And obviously, this is the younger son when he's partying it up. He's at a brothel in this picture. He's living it up. He's got the drink in his hand. And that on his face, that face is actually the face of Rembrandt himself. So he painted his own face and was basically saying, this is, who I, this is who I am. 30 years later, before he died, he redid the prodigal story in a painting called uh, the, prodigal, the Return of the Prodigal. And notice on the painting, you can't see the son's face, and that's intentional. Historians tell us he didn't want anyone to see the son. He wanted everyone to see the father. And so if you look at it, it's, it's dark, it's muted, and the compassion of the father, at least in the Renaissance period, you see, that's, that was, that's supposed to look compassionate. Any, anyhow, we're living in a new time, guys. We're living in you know, CGI and, and graphics. But, uh, but, um, but the point is, it's, 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 supposed to, it's supposed to show us compassion and, and love. And there are a lot of pictures, actually, that have a close-up of the father's face. And this is how he thought and, and how he felt. The first painting focuses on the son, the second on the father. The story of the two prodigals here, it, it relates to all of us, but the focus is the same focus that Rembrandt had in his last painting, and that is the radical love and compassion of God towards us. And you do need to be reminded of that no matter how long you may have known the Lord. So a couple things about the love of God today. Number one, God loves us even when we walk away. It broke the father's heart when the son demanded his inheritance and when he walked away. And maybe we've walked away from God and we need to know that he's never stopped loving us ever. Not one day, not one moment, even in the midst of our sin. He's right there looking us in the face, calling us home. That's what God is always like. Does he like sin? No. Does he tolerate our sin? No. Does he affirm our sin? No. But he so radically loves us that right in the middle of wherever we are, he is calling us back. He's calling us out of that, just like any good mother or father would call their kids out of a destructive path of life. So God is even greater than any one of us. And he's always calling us home. And even in our lowest points, his heart does not change. He never says, well, you've gone too far. He never says you stepped over the line. That's not God. God is constantly convicting and encouraging and moving towards us. I was talking to a woman not that long ago and we were talking about prodigals. I, I made a comment from up front about prodigals, people who have walked away from God, and she came forward and said, that's me. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, that's me. I'm a prodigal. And her and I began to pray, and she gave her heart to the Lord Jesus and started to talk to me about how the last time she was in a church building was eight to 10 years ago, and even then she never believed. She sat in the chair, but she never believed in this glorious Jesus and this resurrection that we celebrate and this loving father who sent the son. She, did, she understood the story, but she never believed it. And she just walks up to me. The first thing out of her mouth was, Pastor Ben, I'm a prodigal. And it was time to come home, wasn't it? And the one thing that I think touched her heart was that God never stopped loving her. And she had a moment where she realized that even though I ran far away from God, he never, he never left me. He was always bringing me back. And isn't that an amazing thing? 
for you and I to consider today that God breaks the power of our shame. I can't tell you how many times when I was living a life of sin and fun, I so thought, and I knew the story of Jesus, but I would never give my heart to him. And, and it didn't matter if somebody preached. I could hear a preacher preach. I could hear somebody talk. I could hear the words, but they never touched my heart until one day, until one day. And, and, and all of those folks and all of those moments and all of those times where someone shared with me the love of God, I, I had a revelation of Jesus and he showed me, actually personally, he showed me that he had never left me. He showed me that personally. And I heard in my heart, I heard the words of Jesus, I will never leave you or forsake you. I have heard that from Jesus. It's in the word of God. It's in the eternal word, but I've actually heard it from him. And it just shatters your shame. And we have shame. Sometimes it's shame that keeps us from coming to God because we're embarrassed. We're embarrassed about our secrets. We're embarrassed. If everybody knew what was really going on in my life, so I can sit here and I can feel fine and I can look religious and all of that, but friends, that's all I ever did until that one day where I realized that he wasn't asking me to look a certain way. He just wanted my life. And he broke the power of my shame that caused me to not come to him. And when that happened, man, my life changed. You say, well, Ben, have you been perfect since? Oh, man, no, no. Does shame ever try to come back? Yeah, shame wasn't a mountain that I overcame. Shame was a voice that I learned to deny because the voice of God got stronger in my life and it's been that way every day. God loves us even when we wander. Maybe we didn't walk away, but we've wandered a little bit into darkness and that shame has been a very powerful barrier. And I have good news for you today that our sin doesn't cancel God's love. Our wandering, our questions does not cancel the love of God in our life. We live in a cancel culture where if you offend somebody, that's it. You're done, man. You are done. You are dead to me. Right? Isn't that what they say? You're gone. But God doesn't believe in cancel culture. Apparently, he doesn't even live in it, right? He's got a kingdom culture, and sin does not cancel out the love of God, and he's always wanting to forgive, and he's always wanting to heal. Isn't that amazing about God? It just never, I know, I'm sorry. He got emotional because of the love of God, amen. I don't blame, I don't blame at all. That's what happens to me. Number three, God loves us even when we have a hardened heart. Maybe we're like the older brother and we lost our desire to be like God and love other people and we have forgotten that we received an inheritance from God that we didn't earn and we don't deserve. Does that touch you ever? Like, we don't deserve it. I want to ask you a question. Like, like, even when I talk about it from up front, you know, it might be like, man, that's a little personal or you're just talking about yourself. I'm just trying to relate it because I understand what the words I'm reading have impacted my life and I believe they've impacted yours. But sometimes I think like, we have forgotten where we come from. There are times where we need to be reminded that the love of God is not earnable and it's not sustainable in our own selves. It's something that he gives. It's something that he continues to give. It's something that he pours out. We just have to receive. Anybody else have a hard time receiving? Like when I go out to dinner or coffee, I always like to pay. And I don't know what it is. Is it a prideful thing? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not willing to say. I, I just don't know. But I always like to be the person that, that takes care of the things. I grew up that way. I was, the young, I was literally the younger brother. I was always the youngest. And when you're the youngest, you have a certain feel. Anybody else the youngest? There are a lot of things about you. And, and now some of you are like, now I know I'm at this church because he says what I feel. <laughs> He's speaking my language. <laughs> it's probably true. We're probably just, a lot of us are probably just a group of younger siblings. I don't know. 
But you ever felt like um, it's hard for you to receive? And that's probably the hardest part. Is if you knew better, you would do better, but you haven't been able to. It hasn't worked out. And God loves us even when we have this hardened heart, this prideful heart. And I was just thinking, you know, we may have stayed, but doesn't mean we prayed. Come on, that rhymed. Amen. Go ahead and smile. Come on. Hey, we may even serve, but man, people get on our nerve, you know. Hey, that's you. You get that hardened heart, and God wants to do a work. He wants to soften you. He wants to soften me. And I've asked the Holy Spirit to soften me as I get older. This world is tough, man. It's hard. People are just always angry and upset about everything. And if you don't agree, it's like you're the enemy. And I'm like, you know, God's got an antidote to that. It's the person and the work and the power of Jesus. There's no reason to have a hardened heart. There's no justification for it at all. I don't want to go out that way. And I don't think you do either, but you're not going to have a softer heart unless you ask the Holy Spirit to soften it, unless Jesus actually is the one that we're looking at as the one I want to be like. And, and so God loves us even when we have a hardened heart, and he's constantly wanting to soften it. But God, in his love, he calls us to change because he loves us enough to do that. Coming home for the younger brother meant becoming who he was born to be, but he had to change. And he knew that when he came home. He knew that I can't just come home and, and be how I am in the house. That's not appropriate. Like he knew I'm going to have to change. That's why his first statement before he ever stepped back into the house was, I've sinned before you and before heaven. But he couldn't earn his way back. What he didn't realize is the father was the one who was going to wrap him up. The father was the one who was going to welcome him back home. He he didn't have to pay for it. But what he did was he had to repent. He had to to say, I'm willing to to follow you. I'm willing to come under your house. I'm willing to go your way and not my way anymore. There was a change that had to occur in him. The older brother, it meant he had to become like his father and it had to be willing to value the right things, not his earning or his striving or his producing. But change has to happen and God made us a certain way. That's why he's shaping us. That's why he's calling us. That's why he doesn't leave us. And at times we feel like this pressure and and we can put it off on other people like Pastor Ben or the church or these people or my parents or these folks. And they're the ones always trying to make me like someone. Well, what if the Holy Spirit is doing that? What if the person of Jesus is doing that? What if it's not just religious people that are our enemy? What if it's the Lord is actually saying, I've called you to be somebody and it's about who you become and not just what you do. And I'm never gonna stop moving in your heart to bring you to a new place because I know who you really are. And God's not gonna quit. And so he's constantly calling us to change and repent because he knows who we are. And we've just gotta give up this idea that we know what that's supposed to look like and find it in the person of Jesus. And we find it in the person of Jesus. We understand what God is doing. And repentance becomes a gift. I wanna change. I wanna become like him. God loves us enough to call us to change. And finally, God loves us enough to welcome us home. My favorite Part of the story is when the younger brother comes home and it says that the father, it's just like he hikes it up and he runs out. Now, man, I'll tell you what, old men, I don't think you run very often. You know what I'm saying? Like you just, I I think as I get old, I'm not an old guy, I'm middle-aged, but when I look at a treadmill, I'm like, I don't think so. (laughs) You know? I mean, there'll be treadmills in heaven. we'll, We'll run then, amen, we'll run with a titanium body, that's it. I'm going to get an upgrade and I'll be a marathon runner then, but not now. I'm a walker. Amen. These boots were made for walking, not running. 
The father, though, man, he runs. It shows this undignified situation where he just runs to the son. The son's supposed to humble himself. Here's the father. I love you so much. I'm running after you. And what it tells us is that God has a heart of rescue. Friends, this is the truth. It's like if we even look in his direction, that's enough for him to come. That's enough for him to come. We think it's like, oh, I've got to do all this. And, and it's, you just look in his direction. And he is so bent on rescue. He's running after you right in that moment. He's waiting. He's right there. He's so patient. That's the father. And we as a church, you know, um, we've taken this whole thing about prodigals really seriously. You'll see these boxes actually up here. They're not offering boxes, so don't put any money in there. What they are is they're boxes where we write names and we write prayer requests and we put them in these boxes and the first day I was walking in our storage room downstairs it's massive it's almost the same size as our gym and I I don't know why I was just down there I think if anybody saw me down there they'd be like Ben what are you doing I didn't have a good answer so it's kind of weird kind of strange and but I walked by this box that looked a lot differently and I just felt led to pick it up and bring it upstairs so I picked up this box and I'm walking upstairs Pastor Scott walks by me and he goes Pastor I'm trying to do a good Scott. Pastor, what are you doing? And I said, I don't know. Can you go get the other one? So, because we have two. And so he goes, to get, he goes to get the other one and he brings it up and he doesn't know why and I don't know why. And I sat there and I thought, you know, the Holy Spirit put on my heart that we needed to pray for anyone that's walked away from God. And here's what I would say to you. We all walk away from God for different reasons, right? Could be hurt, pain, shame, sin. There's a lot of reasons. It's not just because we're so rebellious. There are a lot of things that happen in life and we, we put all of our stock in that thing or that person and we get disappointed and so we walk away. And I just felt the Holy Spirit led me one Sunday to bring these boxes up on stage and say, these are prodigal boxes and we're gonna pray for every single person that's either walked away from God that we know and love or that's never given their heart to him. That's what we're gonna do. And I remember sitting here after the service and I watched hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you put card after card after card. I got all emotional. You know, sometimes emotion hits you and you can't contain. You're like, whoa. And, um, and I was so overwhelmed. I was just so overwhelmed because it was like the love of the Father was pouring out. It wasn't just our love, but it was the love of God. It was like, we so want. It's not a religious thing. Oh, I just want people to go to church, or oh, I just want people to like wink in Jesus's direction, or oh, I just want to feel like my family's doing good. Or It was like, I want them to know Jesus. If he rose from the dead, that is all that matters. I want them to know. It's so real to me. It's as real as I am standing here talking to you. Jesus, is that real to me? I woke up. I was dead and now I'm alive. And so we're putting all these names and these cards in there and, and there's, there's 2,000 names, maybe more. And it showed me something that day when, um, when we did that, that uh, it showed me that I'm not like God <laughs> that much. And that he's just always tenacious to go after and move towards and rescue. And it was just a little bit of his heart coming out. And, and I just wanted to share with you the testimony that I have prayed with dozens of people probably at this point. I've even had people message me that didn't have, they don't have a clue that we're praying this. I've been praying radical prayers. Like I've literally prayed because my family and I have been here three and a half years at this church. But I've prayed that young people that were raised in our youth group, and that maybe they got hurt or maybe they just went out 
the loose living and they decided to walk away from God and from the church and all that, I've prayed, even though I wasn't here those years, I prayed that God would send them back. And I can't tell you, I remember one time I'm in the foyer at the 9 a.m. service, this service, your service, amen, and I walk up to a young man and he's almost asleep out here in the foyer. If you're there, young guy, man, I love you. Glad you're here. Fall asleep. Go sleep, man. That's fine. But he's like almost sleeping in the chair and, and, and I was so happy to see him and I said, hey, how you doing? And he gave me his name and we started talking and I was a little excited and he could tell and, um, and I said, well, wh- what's your story? And he said, I used to go to church here. I was in the youth group several years ago. He doesn't know we've been praying this prayer. And he said, I just moved back here and I've been here for several months and I just woke up and I remembered I used to go to this church and so I thought maybe I'll go there this morning and he just comes into the foyer, sits in the chair and we begin to talk and I looked at him and I said aggressively like, we've been praying for you. Because <laughs> uh, we have. Because we have. And I don't know, it probably was weird to him, might be weird to you, but it feels right. And uh, I had a great conversation with him. Just invite, I didn't invite him to church service. I invited him into family. I found family, uh, more family here than I have anywhere else. That's true. That's what the church is to me. And so here's what I'd like to do with, if you just wouldn't mind bowing your heads as we pray. I just want to pray with you as we close. We got to close. I heard people like to, got a ham cooking and I, I don't eat ham, so I don't know about that, but uh, If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior and you've never given your heart or your life to Him, I want to give you that opportunity today. Not just because it's Easter, but because it's the right decision. It's a decision that God is calling you to make and only you can make it. Nobody can pressure you into it. Nobody can force you to it. It's the invitation of heaven to you. This is why Jesus came. He died in our place. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. He rose again to prove that he was God's one and only son and that what he said was true, that those who believe in him and place their faith in him, though they die, yet shall they live. This is the reality of heaven, and Jesus secured it permanently on our behalf. We cannot have salvation outside of of Jesus Christ. He makes that very, very clear. And so I just want to ask you, if that's you today, Pastor Ben, I don't have a relationship with the Lord. I'm not sure if I'm forgiven, and I don't know where I'm going when, when I leave this life. I, I want to ask you, do you want to give your life to Jesus today? Do you want to make that decision today? And if you do, I want you to raise your hand, and I'm just the one looking at you. I want you to acknowledge it. Yes, sir, I see you. I want you to raise your hand. Yes, sir, I see you. Yeah, I see you as well. I see three of us. Is there anybody else? Yeah. I see you. And here's what I'm asking you to do. Is there anybody else? Real quickly, is there anybody else? Pastor Ben, I want to do that. I want to give my life to Jesus. Yes, sir, I see you. It's the best decision. It's not an emotional decision per se that that we're just compelled by emotion. This is reality. This is reality. There's five of us that are saying that today, and here's what I want to say to you. Allow us to pray with you after the service. I'm not going to have you come up front in front of everybody, but it Make your way down after the service. We want to pray with you. That's what, that's what we want to do. And so we'll be here to pray with you to make sure you know what this is, to give your heart to Jesus, to be forgiven. It's a personal thing. We want to have that time with you. So please come forward after the service. And then also I want to make this available as well. Is there anybody here today that 
needs to give their heart back to the Lord. And you would hear in your heart, man, it's time to come home. That's the, that's the word that we have in our heart. It's, it's time to come home. I haven't been living right. I've, I've been wandering a bit in the darkness. I know better, but I haven't been able to do better. And I just need to surrender today. That's, that's what today is about for me. Jesus rose from the dead and he gave my life back and I want to live for him. And I know it's right, Pastor Ben, but I, I got to make that choice. And he honors commitment as we, as we not just raise our hands, but as we commit our heart. He honors that today. And I want to give you that opportunity. If you're here and you want to rededicate your life and give your heart to Jesus, you know him already, but it's, man, I want to be all in. That's where I'm at. I want you to raise your hand and just share, just share that. That's me. Keep your hand up. Yes, ma'am. I see you. Is there anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. I see you as well. Yeah. This is a commitment of your heart to the Lord. And we'd love to pray for you as well. Okay, and lastly, I just want to praise God for your courage. And everybody can look up at me right now. Um, we've been water baptizing a lot of people. In fact, one weekend we had, I think, 11 or 12 spontaneous water baptisms, which means you didn't bring shorts and shirts, and we had them for you. Um, but I didn't fill up the tank today, so don't get nervous. But... Um, I think this year we've baptized over 45 people, water baptized. And water baptism is where we are declaring publicly that we have died to the old way of life and we have been raised to new life with Christ. That this is a reality that he has accomplished for us and we've given our hearts to him. And stepping into the waters is simple obedience to God. It's a declaration. It's a public declaration of our faith in Christ. And I want to give you the opportunity to make the commitment. I don't have water today, but we are baptizing Anyone who says yes and has not been water baptized but believes in Jesus at the end of the month. And so it gives you time to prepare and invite your friends or family if you want to do that. One young man got water baptized and I think he brought two rows of people. Yeah. And I knew because they were staring at me the whole time like, I don't believe a word you're saying, Pastor Ben. Yeah. Which is cool, you know? Like, I get it. I'm not judging. I'm just saying, like, I could tell. I was like, you know. Because it's, you know, we get it. But uh, is there anybody here, you need to today make a commitment for water baptism. And you're going to make do on that commitment. We want to baptize you. It's at the end of the month. We're going to sign you up. But you say today, Pastor Ben, I want to make a commitment to be water baptized. I want to sign up today. And we will sign you up, make sure that we prepare you and help you understand all that. But I just want you to raise your hand if that's you today. And it's a public thing that you're going to do. So I want you to make a public profession by raising your hand with every eye open and every head up. Yeah. Is there anybody here? I need to be water baptized. You've all been water baptized. I love it. One time I made this call and I had a guy drive down. He was watching online and he drove down. I don't remember where he lived, Shoreline or something. He drove down from like Shoreline and got water baptized. He's probably watching online. God bless you, man. That was faith. Amen. He didn't, he would have loved to have been in the room. He had been, oh man, I didn't have to drive, you know. But uh, let's stand. I want to pray you out. For those of us that have trusted in Christ with our life, let me remind you that your faith in him and his resurrection is not misplaced. And the Bible says that those who hope and put their faith in him, they will never be put to shame. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though... Okay, we're going to do that again. <laughs> he who believes in me will live even though 
He dies. Yeah, we don't like to say the die part. We'll just say live. Everybody say live. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Come on, let me pray. Father, we thank you today for your love. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you're the one that calls every one of us as a prodigal. You call us home. And I thank you for your heart today, Lord, and I pray for a revelation of your love to each one of us as we celebrate your resurrection far more than anything else that we might do. God, we're asking that you would give us a revelation of your heart towards us and that we would share it with other people because it's worthy to be shared. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.